Hi, this is Jeff Cooper, and we welcome you to this Disney Insights podcast. 60 years of the Enchanted Tiki Room doesn't just mean a lot of decades of bird shows, although that number is enormous. Opened on June 23rd of 1963, the Enchanted Tiki Room represents Walt's first foray into audio animatronics, a new space age technology that allowed inanimate characters to perform on cue and even talk. Six decades of Abraham Lincoln, swashbuckling pirates, singing dolls, Big Al, dinosaurs, Mark Twain, Figment, extraterrestrial aliens, avatar shamans, and dancing baby groots all take their roots from what started in a thatched hut. We pay homage to this amazing attraction and to the hut itself. Simple in concept, but never simplistic in execution. We see how this attraction has played out for generations of audiences over the years and has evolved into entire resorts like Disney's Polynesian Village Resort and Disney's Alani. Join Jose, Fritz, Michael, Pierre, and more as we celebrate one of only two attractions that carries the name of its founder, Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. You're also going to want to check out DisneyInsights.com because not only will we have an outline of what we're going to talk about here, but we're going to have a number of visuals and, importantly, some very unusual videos that you just may want to catch. Let's talk about the origins, what was originally known as the Bird Cafe Project. To do that, you have to actually go back in time not to 1963, but to 1955, Disney had already been working on ideas of inanimate objects like hippos in Jungle Cruise, the bears in Mine Train Through Wonderland, and squids in the submarine voyage. It was all part of the Disneyland landscaping originating in 1955. And even before then, he was messing around. If you've been to One Man's Dream at Disney's Hollywood Studios, you'll remember that the dancing man who is in front of this little stage portrayed um, on video or modeled after Buddy Ebsen of the Beverly Hillbillies fame, modeled after Buddy Ebsen, they tried to work with creating animate objects which would come to life. Uh, originally, Walt had so many ideas that came through. There was the idea of doing a Chinese um, fortune room diner. There was the idea of doing a train exhibit that would go across the country with those little exhibits like Grandmother's House seen in One Man's Dream. All these things, of course, eventually we came to Disneyland with the squids and the bears and the hippos. But all of these things were just objects, mechanical objects, performing in a sort of rote sequence. Mark Davis, animator who had done so much to create some fantastic animated characters like Cruella de Vil or um, Maleficent, was invited by Walt to come out and take a look at some of these attractions, like the Jungle Cruise, like the Mine Train, through Adventureland, or through um, a Nature's Wonderland, and the Submarine Voyage. 
And Mark could obviously see that there could be so much more in terms of humor, interest, and most importantly, show that could be infused into the Disneyland attractions. This set the stage for creating a show experience, a show that would have defined characters and an arc to its story experience, a show that would have a beginning and an end rather than something you just sailed through at any given point during the day. That original idea was a cafe or a tea room, once known as the Bird Cafe Project, and was actually going to be sponsored by Stouffer's as a, a restaurant. Stouffer was already running a restaurant on the other side of Main Street where Jolly Holiday, uh, where Jolly Holiday Bakery is now. They were um, working to take care of um, Stouffer's, the Plaza Pavilion. Walt was looking to do another dining experience on the other side and thought that this little tea room might be a really great idea for doing that. That uh, created a dialogue which occurred between Walt Disney and John Hench, one of the first people to really get involved with the project. And to appreciate this, I'm, I'm turning to the pages of the Imagineering Story, which as a Disney Plus special is amazing. As a book, it's even more amazing because it goes into even more detail that it hasn't gone through uh, before. And in this story, um, Imaginary uh, Raleigh Crump recalled, John Hench was asked to do a rendering and in there he had birds in cages. And Walt took one look at it and said, John, you can't have birds in cages. John says, why not? And Walt says, because they'll poop all over the food. Well, that's exactly what he said. We all cracked up. John says, no, 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 no. Maybe they're little mechanical birds. And Walt said, oh, little mechanical birds. End of quote. That's how it all got started. So lots of people started to get involved with this project. Roger Brokey, who had started with the trains, worked on the mechanics of these little birds. Blaine Gibson sculpted the actual birds themselves. George Bruins worked on the music. And then the Sherman brothers were brought in. They were actually shown a, a mock-up of this, which was on a studio backstage, uh, studio soundstage. And they kind of looked at what was going on there and they said, well, this is, this is interesting. What, what is it? And Walt basically said, well, you're going to, you're going to provide that. That's what's needed here is that song, which will introduce what uh, this show is all about. And that's how we got in the Tiki 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 room. Walt said, that's what you guys are going to write a song about, answered Walt. It's a great show, but nobody knows what the thing is all about. Any ideas, boys? Well, our reaction was absolute terror. We had to think fast recall Richard. Luckily, we remembered that about two years earlier, we had written a lengthy calypso to cover a lot of boring footage showing how Disney Cruise had carted tons and tons of equipment uh, to Tobago to film Swiss Family Robinson. 
we wrote the lengthy gag-filled Calypso Tiki Room song, which performs the all-important task of explaining to the audience what they are about to see and hear. Again, everybody was just playing a role in making this happen. Raleigh Crump, who I just quoted a few minutes ago when he talked about the John Hinge story, he came in and he was asked to create the tiki characters that were outside in the pre-show. And so he kind of came up with some very clever designs and there's a whole story entitled with that. In fact, the story around Maui and he kind of looked up in the books what, what tikis looked back like back then and he had names for each of the tiki gods and so forth. And, and, and Walda asked him at one point, is this legit? And he, he assured them and said, all right, let's build it. Well, then Raleigh turned to um, Blaine Gibson said, hey, we need sculptures of all these tiki birds. And Blaine Gibson was busy on other projects. He said, well, you're going to have to do it. I don't have time. I don't know how to sculpt. Well, Blaine gave him some, some pointers and a lot of clay. And Raleigh Crump went to work. And the actual tiki gods that are in that garden are ones fashioned by Raleigh Crump, who really didn't have experience in sculpting objects of that size. In addition to all of these Imagineers working on it, the four hosts were voiced by some, one unknown, but some fairly familiar voices. Pierre was by Ernie Newton, which had done Brigadoon and some other things most people didn't know, but the other three were pretty famous. Thurl Ravenscroft did Fritz. He would later, what he's known mostly for Tony the Tiger, it's great. He later went on to lead the four um, individual, um, the individuals in the graveyard who sing um, Grim Grinning Ghosts. Wally Bogue leads out as the voice of Jose. Both he, Wally Bogue, and Fulton Burley were performers in the Golden Horseshoe Review just around the corner over in Frontierland, and they provided the voices for those two birds. It was a big team effort. Meanwhile, retired Admiral Joe Fowler headed up construction on the project. There were so many hands that would touch this effort to create the show and its surrounding facilities. The show was mocked up on a soundstage at the Burbank Studios, but with all this development during this time and what was going to happen soon thereafter, it became clear or apparent that WED Enterprises, which stood for Walter Elias Disney, that was the original title for Walt Disney Imagineering. WED, because it was owned by Walt at the time, WED Enterprises needed a new home for all these Imagineers. And this actually, during this time, began the process of moving out to Glendale to um, what is actually their home today. Now, the original show had a basement built underneath it that housed all that was required in order to run the complicated electronic systems that would support the show. Originally, guests had to pay a separate ticket of 75 cents to see the show. That's because at the time, there were no A and E tickets that were of that value. Today, that would cost you about $6.50 to see that show. And I would say that show any day is worth $6.50. United Airlines sponsored the show originally from 1963 until 1977. I think that's really important because what really is at the center of the show is kind of this tiki culture thing. 
And tiki culture really comes out of a lot of um, servicemen and women who were on the Pacific front who came back home and kind of brought that that um, those memories and those those things with them. The, at the same time, Hawaii was being made as um, as a state in the Union, and there was a lot of attention on the idea of going to Hawaii. And with jet airlines now being able to get you to that island, you didn't have to take a cruise ship to get there. United definitely wanted to be in charge of sponsoring this pavilion. And that continued until about 1977, and then it was changed over to Dole. Dole was obviously a big, big of uh, pineapple plantation fruit provider distributor, and uh, and we all know about Dole pineapple whips. We'll talk about that in a in a few minutes. Disney announced the show originally as ten years in research and development, and having a budget at that time of one million dollars. The L.A. Times, when it saw it, called the show revolutionary. Ultimately. The show would be paired with its neighbor, the Titian Terrace. Remember, the idea was they were going to build a restaurant here on the backside of Stouffer's. Well, actually, that restaurant premiered the year before the Tiki Room did. And I love, a lot of people don't know about the Tahitian Terrace, but it had two elements. One was a waterfall in which the water would part and the dancers would come um, out of it to perform. And the other was a stage which had a very big, big tree, about a 35-foot tree, that provided the shade and structure and housed the lighting that that was provided to the performers. So they their stage was really the backdrop, or the, this tree was the backdrop of the performers as they performed. When the tree was built, it was built out of cement, very similar to what would be built with the Swiss family uh, Robinson Treehouse. When it was originally built, it was too short. So short that people toward the back or um, moving up because there was a little bit of terracing in the Tahitian Terrace, um, people had a difficult time seeing it. And so Walt kind of took a look at this tree and said, it needs to be taller. And everybody started giving reasons why you couldn't do that. Or if you did, you'd have to throw it out and start over again. That would be incredibly expensive. And um, Joe Fowler, in his typical way, can-do way, said, I can do it. And the way he did it is he took the tree down, he cut the tree, and then he just simply added another um, yard or two, a yard, I think it was about a yard, yard and a half, of material to the trunk. And that just made the tree taller and able to work. And that, that title of Can Do really stuck with Joe Fowler because of his ability to look at a project and say, this could be done and to make that happen. Together, the Tahitian Terrace and the Enchanted Tiki Room really just took um, Adventureland to the next level because up to that time, the Jungle Cruise was the only thing really happening. And uh, well, I should say the Swiss family um, Treehouse was also coming in. The, the movie had premiered uh, sometime prior. Um, well, back in 1959 is when the movie had premiered. But the idea of bringing it to um, Disneyland and having it built there actually came in about the same time, which is about 1962. So a little before the Enchanted Tiki Room, about the same time that 
uh, Tasha Terrace came in. So this was really an unfolding of the whole Adventureland experience. And I have to just say, again, this whole tiki aesthetic, um, which is is somewhat problematic, but but it did it did continue not only in building more enchanted tiki rooms, which we're going to talk about in a second. But it gave way to what then ultimately became the Polynesian Village Resort and ultimately Alani, which was so much more thoughtfully and authentically rendered than the traditional tiki room style that you see at Walt Disney World and at Disneyland. Um, Disney does know how to learn its lessons and it does a great job in Alani. If you've not been there, it really is a a cultural showcase to what can be done to really celebrate uh, a culture in an authentic way. And I think Joe Rohde headed up Alani. He also headed up right before the whole project um, in the Bahamas for the new Lighthouse Point project um, similar to Castaway Key that's coming. And I think there's a lot of promise in that to make that, again, another celebration of the culture of the Bahamas. So while it didn't, we still have the tiki fair that you see, it really truly has given away to bigger and better things over time. Anyway, long story short, the, en the Enchanted Tiki Room opened up in 1963 and was a wow experience. Lines came right back down Main Street and they, as they had earlier in years previous to um, to the Jungle Cruise when it first opened at Disneyland, and it was just embraced by everyone who came. To so when you get around to building Walt Disney World, clearly you're going to want to uh, bring the Enchanted Tiki Room out to Florida. But it took on a different title, Perhaps maybe uh, they were being politically correct at that time too because they changed the word tiki to tropical and called it tropical serenade. It's gone back to the Enchanted Tiki Room. But when it first opened, it was known as tropical serenade. It was an e-ticket as it later became over at Disneyland when the price of those tickets came up to um, to being the same price that, that the ticket had originally been sold at. To accommodate greater crowds, a more octagonal style version of the building was created. If you've never been to the Disneyland version, when you step in, you'll see that it's really almost more of a in the style of a of a plus sign or a cross, in the which that the fountain of the show is in the dead center and then extends out in four directions. Here at, if you've never been to Walt Disney World, you step in and you see that it is more almost a circular theater as opposed to um, the, the plus cross style that was built in Disneyland. This, first of all, allows for a lot more guests to come and experience the show. It also allowed them to do a different thing in the, and I don't want to give anything away, but when you get to the, the big rainfall scene at the end of it in the original Disneyland version, which is still depicted this way, you see the rain outside your bamboo windows, but in truth, it's really thin plastic strips that are being shaken with a little bit of lighting effect to create the, and it honestly was a very authentic uh, effect for its time. 
Here, you have actually open windows with views of the South Pacific and beyond. And I love when you get to the ending and um, before the gods have all become um, angry, you see, you see the smoke begin to appear um, above the volcanoes that are in the far distance. And then when the rain falls, it's literally rain that falls into a pond outside the window and then is circulated. It's not so impressive when you actually go backstage as I have as a cast member, but from a visual thing, when it's lit right, it really is kind of a fun, fun little view. Um, they also added a new opening show for guests um, when they were coming into the area. They took a lot of Wally's uh, Tiki God figures and put them in Disney's Poly around Disney's Polynesian Resort. But they actually created two new Tiki Gods and had them. It was kind of a comedy show playing off of each other um, between two voice actors. The first was Sebastian Cabot. If you go way back, you'll know that he was a very famous actor, played a butler in uh, Family Affair with Brian Keith. And uh, that was a very popular show back in the, I would say, late 1960s, maybe early 70s. He also was the voice of Bahira in the original, the Panther, in the original Jungle Book film. And so, and and by the way, these uh, characters are have come back. They were replaced at one point, but they have come back and you can still hear his voice. And the other is Dallas McKinnon, who's not as familiar, uh, but where you will actually hear his voice again elsewhere on Disney property is that he is the voice of Ben Franklin in the American Adventure. So it's very cool. Next time you're there, kind of listen for that. Moreover, the Tropical Serenade, while the show was pretty much spot on to what it was at Disneyland, it was sponsored by the Florida Citrus Growers. They brought in as a spokesperson to the Florida Citrus Association, Anita Bryant, who was um, someone who was, was pretty fa uh, pretty well-known country singer and had also been in, I think, Miss America-style pageants and so forth. Um, great voice, lovely individual. Disney brought in a new character as well, and you know that individual as Orange Bird. Uh, all of this was paired together under what was referred to as the Florida Citrus Sunshine Pavilion. And there you could, next door, get, well, not Dole Whips, but citrus drinks and citrus salads at the Sunshine Tree Terrace. After all, it's Florida Citrus Growers. They're going to be pushing the oranges, aren't they? So Dole Whips actually didn't come along until about 1984. By the way, uh, Anita Bryant was also fairly well known because she became a political activist and was very much against gay rights during the 70s. And, and there was a lot of friction of that regarding that. And eventually, I think Florida Citrus Growers let them go and but she actually cut an album at one time with Orange Bird singing Orange Bird style songs. And I, I want to say that those songs actually, some of them may have been written by the Sherman brothers at the time. Don't, don't uh, take me on that. But um, yeah, actually music and lyrics were uh, done by Sherman, um, by the Sherman brothers. 
And um, it was it the idea was to have an entire pavilion kind of s- s- that was sponsored by uh, the citrus growers at that time. Now, Walt Disney World and Disneyland were not the only places the Enchanted Tiki Room came together. The Oriental Land Company, when it finally got the go to build Tokyo Disneyland, had the good fortune of walking through both Disneyland and Walt Disney World. And it was pretty much, which of these do you like? Well, they chose pretty much the Disneyland version of Pirates of the Caribbean. And they chose pretty much the... um, Walt Disney World Magic Kingdom version of the Haunted Mansion. Uh, They also chose the Cinderella Castle of Haunted Mansion. They chose the um, Dinosaur Diorama uh, Primeval World experience for their train from Disneyland. They chose the Jungle Cruise but flipped it backwards from Magic Kingdom. So the, the whole of the land is a perfect what is the best and put that in there. When they came to the Enchanted Tiki Room, they really kind of took the Disneyland cross-style version. They created a slightly more spacious pre-show area with um, Wally Crump's tikis as part of the waiting area. The challenge to building not just this attraction, but all of Tokyo Disney at that time is that all labor across the entire company, every part of the company, was focused on building Epcot at the same time. In fact, Tokyo opened only six months after Epcot opened. Um, In the um, Disney Plus Imagineering series, they talk about the fact that there was only a small team that were dedicated to building the um, Tokyo Disney Resort because everybody was over at Epcot. To maximize their resources, one of the things they did is they took the birds that were being built for Tokyo, but then they utilized it in a TV show that the studio was making that was helping to promote the opening of Epcot Center. And uh, if you've ever seen One Man's Dream, and I've got um, a link to this song, rather than Anita Bryan, who had gone on, they chose Marie Osmond to perform with these tiki birds. That's an interesting... um, alignment there because both Anita Bryant had made the song Paper Dreams quite popular in the 1960s and then Marie Osmond took it to a number one hit in the 1970s. So it's not a small thing that there's kind of a comparative point between the two. Marie performed the songs with the birds chirping along in this 1981 special called One Man's Dream. Go to DisneyInsights.com and you can see Marie. She's singing this song and it's all in preparation for the opening of Epcot Center. But in truth, these birds are being shipped out to Tokyo Disney. That was kind of the, the effort to kind of bring everybody together. Well, audio animatronics never rests on its feathers, so to speak. It quickly grew into other attractions that we know today beginning with uh, the New York World's Fair, with uh, great moments with Mr. Lincoln and the family and the Carousel of Progress and the dinosaurs and the Ford Skyway Pavilion and then also the dolls in It's a Small World. It then, those attractions came out to Disneyland, Pirates of the Caribbean came shortly thereafter, followed by 
the Haunted Mansion, all these attractions started coming away. But in time, attention towards some of these older attractions, well, they kind of kind of took a hit. And one of the ways that that happened was with Disney's 50th anniversary. As it got close to the 50th anniversary, back in, I want to say, 2005, it was becoming really apparent that the Enchanted Tiki Room, well, it actually, with new social media, with blogs like, um, well, I think it was called Mice Age at the time. I think they took a lead, but I think Mouse Planet may have also um, been a part of that or Laughing Place may have been a part of it. But they became a rallying point for the neglect and inattention that was being, uh, that that was the Enchanted Tiki Room. There were a range of neglected maintenance issues. You could look, I remember saying this myself, you could look at the thatch roof and see the chicken wire come. You could go into the show and see birds not working, or you could see dust on the birds because they hadn't been continuously uh, paid attention to. And there was just a real strong push at that time. And honestly, uh, the president, uh, who, the head of Disneyland at that time, used the Enchanted Tiki Room to point to it and say, we're going to our 50th anniversary and we can't have the the attractions that made this park amazing looking like that. And he managed to get a lot of money thrown into upgrading and improving Disneyland as it came toward its 50th anniversary. Um, so... And since then, I got to say, the Enchanted Tiki Room for me has continuously been better every time I go to it at Disneyland. It really um, has a terrific lighting package that makes the whole room come alive and be very colorful. The fountain, which as a little kid, and I tell you, I was probably five when I first went on the Enchanted Tiki Room. And I just stared at that fountain in the center and thought, how do they get that fountain to do what it does? That is just so, it's now just so obvious. I won't give it away if you don't know. But it was just, it's obvious now. But back then as a small child, that and the rain outside, how'd they make it rain outside? Ah, those things were just amazing to me. And plus the fact that all these birds, all of these flowers, and then these crazy tiki's came to life. Well, they weren't the only one who experienced change. By the way, the Tahitian Terrace next door also gave way to other venues, one theme to Aladdin for a long time, but eventually it came back as the tropical hideaway. You'll remember that's a line or a, a phrase given, um, welcome to our tropical hideaway, you lucky people, you. That was part of the Sherman Brothers song. And it references the music from the show. It also features Rosita perched and making comments among the diners. And it gives you another venue to go get pineapple dole whips because they are very popular. I love, especially in the evening hours when the flames are coming up, I love to be at the Tropical Hideaway. It's just one of my favorite little corners of Disneyland. You can watch the boats come by and the Jungle Cruise. You could take in a nearby showing of the Enchanted Tiki Room. It's all fantastic. At the same time at Walt Disney World, well, there were some changes that came along with that show as well. And it 
kind of took on the form of the very thing that um, change, you know, kind of happens. It, it um, about this time in the 90s, we were seeing new uh, shows come out, uh, new films come out like The Lion King and also Aladdin. And both of those shows had, well, they had birds. And so it just became a great opportunity um, to maybe do a change. And so it went under new management with those two, uh, Iago and um, uh, Iago from Aladdin. And what was the name of the other? Um, oh, come on. I know the Zazu. Zazu from the Lion King. Both of them kind of sparred at each other. I actually love the animatronics, not as much as I love the goddess Aoa, who came up from the center. Instead of the fountain, she emerged with with smoke and everything. And and uh, don't mess with the goddess Aoa. There were things to like about that show, but they had made the show much shorter. And while there were some cute one-liners, like I think I like, like Iago saying, I think I'll go to the Hall of Presidents and take a nap. Those things were really great, but um, you know what? This, well, I actually have a reference to another uh, podcast and link to another uh, post that talks about change. And actually, if you study that whole show, you learn about different phases of change when you study it. So that was the good thing. The better thing was that some small fire broke out eventually in the attic and it severely damaged the Iago, the Iago audio animatronic character. And so it was announced that uh, back in, um, you know, that happened in 2011. And so it was reannounced that it would go back to the Enchanted Tiki Room. My only frustration with this show now is that they didn't restore the fountain. And I think that is a centerpiece and the water and everything, I just think is an important element. So I'm a little disappointed by that too. Just so you know, Tokyo Disneyland, it got some changes as well that were pretty, well, if you think under under new management was bad at Walt Disney World, this was really kind of different. In 1988, the show was changed out to a kind of a Las Vegas-style show. It was called The Enchanted Tiki Room, now playing Get the Fever. Get the Fever. Uh-huh. Get the Fever. Anyway, that was the 1988-98 show. And then 10 years later, Stitch became famous. It was changed out to The Enchanted Tiki Room. Stitch presents Aloha Ekomomai. Um... You know what? I don't like Stitch, but I got to say, as an animatronic, he kind of works. And if you want to, you can see my video on on both of those. In fact, all the Enchanted Tiki Rooms, uh, we will show videos of them on our Disney Insights uh, page. So check that out. Now, um, uh, by the way, I should also mention um, there is none at Shanghai Disney or Hong Kong Disneyland, although the Tiki Gods kind of grace a a shop in Hong Kong Disneyland. And there are animated birds that actually are up in the treetop in the middle of the Adventures Club at Disneyland Paris. But it is not a show. They're just thematic 
elements that are part of it. If you really want to see the show at its best, then you have to head to Disneyland because it really is, it really is an amazing place. Now today, wow, you really think about it, um, uh, like hand-drawn animation beforehand or other Imagineering styles since then, audio animatronics has accomplished the illusion of life and has given life to so much around it. I uh, also include an image or a video of the the shaman from Pandora with her head off and or not head off but the face removed sounds gross but but it's fascinating to see how these characters have evolved and if you haven't seen baby Groot doing the dance I also have that video as well it is fascinating to see and uh, and learn I think moreover the, one of the great messages is that the Enchanted Tiki Room at its time, when it was first developed at Disneyland, created a solid team of artists, engineers, and others who would come together to do amazing things. And that is what it would occur as they shortly thereafter prepared for the New York World's Fair with Pirates of the Caribbean, a new Tomorrowland, the Haunted Mansion, and subsequently Walt Disney World, all of those things following within 10 within the next 10 years of the opening of the enchanted tiki room i don't think any of that would have happened if wald hadn't created the team to make that happen so as we do in our podcast we talk about a couple of souvenirs takeaways think about raleigh crump not being able not having any experience crafting or sculpting um, objects, let alone, let alone tiki gods. How do you seize opportunities to do things you've never done before? You can think about what that looks like in your own life. Just as Walt went from what was originally a tea room to a showroom, how do you allow good ideas to evolve until you get the right product or service? How do you, as we just mentioned, build a team of people how do you gather them together to make the impossible possible? Are your products, like when it came up for Disneyland's 50th, are your products and service fresh and alive? Or are they like the Tiki Room decades later, looking like bird dust and chicken wire? And then finally, when under the wire, how resourceful are you in using your resources when hit up by deadlines, just as we gave in those examples of building the Enchanted Tiki Room at Tokyo Disney at the same time Epcot was being built. Well, that does it for our Disney uh, Insights podcast. We appreciate you joining us. We wanted to do this podcast in alignment with the 50th, uh, 60th anniversary of the Enchanted Tiki Room. By the way, also check out Disney Insights. We've talked about Jim Corcus, really one of the great people who has preserved much of our history of Disneyland and all things pertaining to Disney um, over the years. He's struggling, needs your help. Check out our website and you can see different ways that you can support. Finally, in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.